Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and really I'm just here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That certainly means helping you improve your photographic skills and enabling you to become a stronger business owner, but it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We are sponsored by PhotographersEdit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for another Boca Podcast episode, and uh, I'm joined by two brand new guests today, Corey Potter and Dylan Howell. Thank you guys for hanging out with me. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for having us. And we're going to actually glad to be here. <laughs> well, I'm glad to have you here, and and we're going to dig into a pretty big topic, SEO for photographers here in just a little bit. Uh, but before I do, Dylan, uh, I had to bring up a couple of things. I was doing a little research prior to our conversation today, and I saw two pictures that I had to mention. One was of you doing triathlon, uh, and then the cool. other is of you riding a Triumph motorcycle, both of which I can relate to. Talk to me about each. Totally. Yeah. So I'm big into cycling and have been racing for quite some time and training and riding for fun. It's my way to get uh, out and have some exercise. And then, uh, my triumph motorcycle, I've had that for about, uh, almost a decade and it's been in the shop for most of that time, but I'm <laughs> getting it back in a few weeks. So what, what year triumph is that? 1970 triumph Bonneville Bonneville. Yeah. Okay. So I've got a 2016, um, cool. triumph Bonneville T120 that has just been, in my experience, uh, and sorry to everybody listening in, including Corey, as we geek out on, on motorcycles here for a second, but um, in my experience, the Triumph, and I've ridden over 50 motorcycles at this point, but that is the best all-around motorcycle that I've had the experience of riding, um, not only on my own, but my girlfriend has ridden with me countless times. We even took a three-and-a-half-hour trip up the back roads to, um, to Nashville at one point. Uh, awesome. and, and it's just a really great all around motorcycle. Has that been your experience as well? Yeah, for the most part. Um, mine's kind of of the era of British motorcycle that the electrical system isn't always the best and it has kind of a tractor motor, but other than that, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> a tractor motor. Okay. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Well, um, at, Corey, as we're talking about hobbies and interests here, we, I have to at least ask you, is there something that you like to do with your free time as well? <laughs> Uh, that recently I got into kayaking and fishing with my son and it has been, I've started to become a little bit obsessed with it. So that's been my, my most recent hobby. Okay. Any particular type of fishing? Uh, really at this point we just do anything just to have fun. Um, so no, not really. <laughs> okay. No, that's fair. I mean, I'm not much of a fisherman. I, I don't know a ton of it, but I, I at least know that they kind of break it up into categories, different types of fish, different types of fishing, fly fishing or otherwise. But yeah, our category is basically. Basically, we get on our kayak and we like to find like random fishing lures and things that people have left behind in the riverbanks okay. and then like, you know, see what we can catch with it. Brilliant. And how old's your son? He's four. Oh, no way. So you're getting started with him early. That's really cool, actually. Yeah, it's fun. And do you have a lot of experience kayaking? No, no not really. I did some when I was a teenager, okay. uh, but then just recently bought a kayak again. It's just a simple fishing kayak, but we have great spots in the city that I live in. Uh, Columbia is, is a river city, so some cool spots in the river and the lake. Very cool. Uh, there's something about, so I, I have two kids. My, my daughter is about to be a sophomore in high school. She's 15. My son is about to start college. Uh, he's 18. And it's cool to find little ways that we can connect with our kids. My son actually got his motorcycle license uh, not too long ago. And he's got a 1977 uh, CB, a Honda CB400. Um, that has been in and out of the shop as well. And and it's currently in Atlanta being worked on. And I'm hoping that, that at some point in the near future, we get to go out riding together, but it's fun. It's fun to have those experiences that we can share with our kids or significant others. Uh, I really appreciate you both sharing a little bit of your perspective on, on some of these fun things, but I want to get into the conversation because I know we've got a really loaded topic today. As I normally do at the podcast, the first question I like to ask is about brand position. And I want to kind of approach this from the standpoint of your, well, fuel your photos. So give us a little background to fuel your photos and talk to us about the brand position of that, that business. Totally. Yeah. So like a simple brand position for us, I guess would be 
We've tried offering SEO services for photographers for quite a while, both of us separately and then even a little bit together. What we've realized time and time again is that photographers, when they're not empowered to take control of their own SEO, they're basically going to fail in the long run. Hmm. And so our entire focus of our business is really education and empowerment so that those photographers can take control and uh, really understand SEO in a way that they can implement it for their business. Yeah. And I actually see, so I'm on the, the homepage of your site. It's fuelyourphotos.com. For everybody listening in, make sure you check it out. And it's spelled just like it sounds. Uh, I'll go ahead and mention too, the Instagram account is the same thing, Fuel Your Photos. But uh, on the homepage of the site, above the fold, uh, which is something I'm a, a huge fan of when it comes to stating a brand position, clearly there is big, bold font, get more photography clients. And the subtext uh, points to what you're talking about, Corey, learn how to leverage your photography website to get a steady stream of new clients every single month. I like the simplicity of this, the brevity of this. Um, and, and they're not confused about what the brand is about. They land there, they know immediately. And as I've stressed so many times, that message is above the fold. I'm looking at the mobile version as well as the desktop version. And that's the case. Uh, so props to you guys for, for making it really clear, really simple and easy to understand. Thanks. And for everybody listening in, make sure you go check this out as a really great example of a clear brand position, um, not only in the message itself, but the way that it's presented on the website. But let me jump to the next question uh, from your, both your experiences as business owners, uh, can you comment on what you would say is the most important principle that you've learned about providing a great customer experience? Yeah, I think for me, it's it's really key that I let the customer know that I actually care about them and that I'm, I'm invested in their results. So on the SEO side with the education, um, everybody that we meet with and all of our students, um, I love when I see the messages that that people are actually they get the feeling that we want to help them and that we'll go above and beyond to, to really support them through their journey of learning SEO. Um, and so that's for me, the most important thing. And this is, I'm curious to get, uh, and for everybody listening in, this is Dylan that I'm talking to, correct? Yes, yes. Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure I was differentiating for myself and everybody, but Dylan, when you talk about showing care to clients, and this is something that is, has been discussed, fortunately, now for a number of years. It's become kind of front and center for photography business owners, at least the notion of it. But what that actually means on a day to day basis and a practical level is still a question mark, I think, because it's easy to say something, it's another thing to do it. How do you actually show them tangibly that you care in the way that you're engaging with them? Yeah, I think it starts off with our photography group um, on Facebook, where we we have the public group where we answer people's questions fairly well. I think uh, we're in that probably too much. But then if when people join our course, they're in our VIP group, and we really strive to answer any question that they have within sometimes minutes of them posting. Uh, so they really feel like we're we're providing this like instant, always their customer support. Hmm. Um, and then we, we also do meetings with them and Skype calls and it, it might, we might go above and beyond by fixing a little error on their site or jumping into their WordPress backend and, and, and installing plugins and setting things up and stuff like that, that we're not being paid to do all the time, but we're, we're just really helping them out with their journey. So it, it that, looks like the focus is on, or it sounds like the focus is on adding value as much as possible. But when you talk about that immediate response, which I mean, I, I get the value in that. I, I like to have that experience when I'm engaging with a company. Uh, but then when we have a limited number of resources, the limited number on the team itself, how do you balance that as immediate as possible response with also not getting overwhelmed? Totally. We've, we've done a few things recently. Um, one part is that we we try to limit all of our video calls to a certain day per week, and we we've set like more regular business hours for our typical work. Okay. Um, but I, I typically, since it's a Facebook group, I have Facebook on my phone. I I try to just do a lot of those questions and answers from my phone when I'm doing other things. <laughs> yeah, and one of the nice things too is that since there are two of us, we're in different time zones. Uh, yeah. It it's nice that we can know. Like a couple weeks ago, I went on vacation. We went camping as a family for a week. And Dylan was able to jump in and kind of, you know, take a little extra um, attention to the groups. And then if Dylan's going to be gone or out of the office or whatever, I, I know that I can kind of balance that a little bit. So it is nice to have two of us answering questions like that. 
Well, and this actually is very much a segue to my next question. We'll go ahead and get into the, the idea of delegation. You're working together. You're in two different time zones. You're not in the same place. How have you clearly outlined each of your responsibilities so you know what to, to get done and then what the other person is going to be getting done? What does that conversation sound like? We're still figuring that out, to be honest, to excite, for sure. That's fair. That's fair. We've, we've been through a few iterations of different Trello boards and different weekly schedules. And okay. I think we, right now we're, we're pretty decent. Uh, we have pretty, almost every week we have standups with each other and really go through like the weekly plan. We have a Slack channel that we're really active in where we tell each other what we're working on and what we're up to and let each other know if we're busy. And we have shared calendars and all that stuff. So I think one of the things too, is it comes down to like after you spent a lot of time working together, you start to figure these things out, but it's hard to figure them out at first. So we only started working together maybe what, 18 months ago or something like that. Okay. Yeah. And you know, at first figuring those out, we could write it down on paper and it sounded great, but we have a lot of the same skill set. And um, after actually doing a lot of these tasks, we, we eventually have started to kind of settle into like, here's the things that make me happy to do, or I excel at, or I don't hate myself when I have to do these things, I'll do those. Uh, and then, you know, the other, there's sometimes opposite things. So we have started to find some of those patterns of just like, what, where do we shine the most, even if we can do the other things. And we've finally started to kind of settle into, okay, Dylan, you go do this because you're better at it than I am and you enjoy it more. And I'll do these things that I enjoy more. And did that conversation, I mean, was it tough to get into that conversation? Because what I've learned and I'm still learning, frankly, about the process of delegation and working with the team is that um, we can, we know what we're thinking, but then trying to communicate that effectively to somebody can be a little bit tough at times just because they process information differently than we do. They may say something differently than we do. So was that a process as well, learning how to communicate what it is that you want to the other person in a way that made sense to them? Yeah, I think it just took a little bit of time. I think it it was definitely much more difficult when we first started. We, I mean, we we chat pretty much every day. Yeah. So it's <laughs> yeah. I think we've we've gotten kind of lucky <laughs> with the fact yeah. that we we do mesh pretty well. Um, we have different personalities and ideas, and uh, I think that so far it's been a pretty good combination. That's great. Well, and um, I think the the challenge of communication, especially when you're working with somebody else, whether it's another company or an individual, can be overwhelming at times. I mean, the fact that you guys have even made it through 18 months together and you're still here and you're producing something of value through your company. And then, by the way, your podcast as well. For everybody listening in, you may have noticed that this is some of the best audio that we've had in a long time. It, it's <laughs> no accident. Um, Dylan and Corey actually have a podcast and, and we'll link to this in the show notes at com. But it's simply called the SEO Podcast for Photographers or SEO for Photographers Podcast. And um, we'll make sure to link to that. And then you mentioned that you've got 12 episodes out. Is that correct? Yeah. And I looked, we've been going since March. Um, but, and they're typically about 45 minutes long. And we just typically discuss one SEO topic. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fun. Well, it's a loaded topic. And we're going to get to that here in just a second. Um, I know you have a lot of information to share, both you and Corey. But let me ask you both this question, actually. And Corey, we'll start with you. What is one of your favorite books or one of the most impactful books that you've read? It could be in the self-help genre or the business genre in the last few years. Uh, well, in the last few years, uh, that's hard. Uh, I, I, would, I will say, for me, the one book that just really jumps out to me is The 4-Hour Workweek. Yeah. And I feel like now it's not like as revolutionary as it was when I read it like 10 years ago. But it was so instrumental in kind of shaping the lifestyle that I wanted to try to live or the things that the way that I think is probably been the most impactful book in the long run. And what, just to make it practical and tangible for everybody, because we've mentioned this book multiple times over, but I've also highlighted the fact that, that most people, when they hear that title, uh, maybe even read the book, it's kind of like, Oh yeah, that's nice. And then they move on because they don't actually take it to heart. They don't feel like this notion of working four hours a week or a minimal amount of time each week is practical how have you made it practical? How have you made it tangible in your life, Corey? Well, one of the big uh, ideas in the book is that uh, you can live a, quote, millionaire's lifestyle without being a millionaire, yeah. or you can do, 
do things that you've dreamed of doing without having as much money as you think you need. Uh, that's been a really big thing that I've tried to apply is like start doing some of the things or find ways, alternative ways to accomplish the same things without needing to necessarily purchase them up front. But also like I've really started to focus more and more on passive or more passive sources of revenue, um, things that are scalable, things that like the difference between offering one-on-one SEO services versus, um, you know, group consulting and courses is a big difference, right? So we tried both or I've tried doing services and I just realized it was not going to fit with the way that I wanted to uh, create my life and also it wasn't delivering the results that I wanted. And so um, kind of making that shift into education has been a big part. I mean, a big part of that is inspired by that reading that book a long time ago. Yeah, it, it's such a powerful book. I actually read it for the first time as I was beginning to build Photographer's Edit. And it was kind of fun because th- what I was shooting for and creating a more flexible lifestyle um, was exactly what Tim was talking about. And and the concepts kind of went hand in hand. And it, it actually didn't take but, I don't know, maybe two to three years in with Photographer's Edit that I was able to work as little as four hours a week. And a lot of that had to do with just the wonderful team that was behind Photographer's Edit and making it happen but this is possible that the, the kind of caveat to the conversation is that it doesn't actually have to be four hours specifically that we're only working each week for photographers listening in. And, and Tim has, Tim Ferriss has highlighted the, the fact that it, what his, what he's actually focused on in that book is helping you learn how to work smarter. So yeah. whether it's four hours a week or 14 hours a week, whatever that looks like for you. And, and Corey highlighted the, the significance of intentionality here. Decide what it is that you want, and then you can utilize the incredible resources that we have in 2020 uh, that are, as Corey pointed out, free or relatively inexpensive that will enable us to scale more effectively and have more freedom, more flexibility as business owners. Dylan, let me jump to you. What, what's one of the most impactful books that you've read? <laughs> I was trying to think of any, and I haven't read a single self-help book since I dropped out of college. <laughs> and, uh, so that's a really depressing fact. But, Not, actually, um, no, I think that yeah. those ideas go hand in hand. I mean, the, the, you, it seems like you're out kind of learning on your own or out to, to learn things in the way that you want yeah, to. Yeah, totally. So I, I would like, I'll spend an afternoon reading studies on like information retrieval or like how Wikipedia is tuning their search algorithm or stuff like that. I, I can geek out on for hours, but actual self-help books. I, I mean, I probably should be reading them because I have some of the worst, like uh, just practices with my own like time management and all of those things. So uh, yeah, it's something I should do, but I don't currently. Well, but I I think there's also something to be said though, for what you're demonstrating the, the idea of instead of just kind of constantly consuming information, we go where, and when we need that information and it's so readily available these days, it's brilliant. I, I have a tendency of kind of going got overdoing it really and consuming too much information. I've been cutting back as of late, just so I'm not so overwhelmed and, and overwhelmed, not necessarily in a, like a dramatic sense, but more that I just have so much going on in my head that when it comes to remembering just basic information, I'm suddenly lost. Uh, and it, so it's ultimately not doing me that much benefit or giving me that much benefit to, to constantly be consuming so much information. So I think there's some kind of a balance in there and it's going to look differently for different people. But I, I like that you highlight the other side of that conversation. Let me actually jump into really our main focus for today, which is SEO. And this is a loaded topic. We've touched on it a couple of times in the podcast, but I'd love having you guys on to get yet another perspective and I guess let's start with something that I'm not sure we've spent a whole lot of time on here in the podcast, and that's the significance of local Google searches as it relates to photography businesses. Corey, maybe you can start with this. Sure. I feel like one of the problems with Google, Google is not perfect at all. Uh, their algorithms are great. They have some of the most amazing technology available in the world at this time, brilliant engineers, but it's still a machine, you know, generally the, the algorithms, the crawlers, they're machines, they're programs that are written and don't always do a great job. And local, surprisingly, is one of the places that I think is the worst for <laughs> photographers. It's kind of bad because hmm. pretty much any city plus photographer, city plus specialty photographer kind of query or search is going to return a map pack. But a large percentage of photography searches the, the map is completely irrelevant, especially any kind of wedding, elopement, traveling photographers. You don't need a map. Very 
I would say a much smaller percentage of photographers have studios now than in the past. And so if you don't have a physical location, that's kind of the center of your business, map pack doesn't matter at all to you. Uh, and even for people searching that, you know, maybe, maybe they want to do on location in their city. They need a photographer that's close enough to, to, you know, serve them, but they don't need someone that's like five minutes from their house or right down the street when they search, hmm. but that's how Google's going to return those local results. So unfortunately we, we kind of have to play this Google game in this situation for, with photographers. A lot of times with addresses and local factors and things that go into um, the algorithm, whenever Google senses or detects local intent or someone searching for a local entity that wouldn't necessarily appear in other cases. And we have to still pay attention to those for photographers, even whenever it's not necessarily applicable. And that's one of the things I hate about SEO. Like I don't want to have to focus on the game or the tricks or the, the things you have to do behind the scenes because of an algorithm. But with local, that's very prevalent. Interesting. So what does that actually mean, I guess, on a like a tangible level for photographers if they're if they're setting up their website um, to be found lo- locally? Because I, I know that most photographers, though they may want to do the occasional destination wedding of some type, um, most of the work that they're probably going to do is in their area. So what does this yep. mean on a tangible level when it comes to setting up SEO to be found locally? It means that well, first of all, there's an unfair advantage if you have a physical address located near the center of the city or the mm. center of where people are searching most often. You just have to realize that and then decide how important it is to you to use that factor. It's a very significant factor. Um, wow. You can certainly rank in a map pack without displaying your address or having a studio or anything like that. But the people who do and optimize it properly will have... Uh, an advantage over you. So knowing that is the first thing I would say is like making sure that you pay attention to how you set up your Google My Business with what with what address you use, the the location that you choose there. Huh. Uh, it, it makes a huge difference. But also I think there are other things that tie into local SEO that you can um, take advantage of. Uh, things like reviews. Reviews make a big difference in the local algorithm. Um, so that's something you can do to kind of counterbalance. That's, that's the thing about SEO. There's these balances basically, right? There's lots and lots of different factors, hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. And so sometimes you may be much lower in one factor, but you can kind of counteract that in some situations by being much higher in another factor. So, you know, focusing on things like getting more reviews or focusing on, um, other directory listings and citations that may be relevant to your city, but not necessarily require an address, you know, getting uh, lots of locally relevant backlinks or mentions, uh, being very involved in your community, or if you're a wedding photographer with like venues and other uh, vendors who might mention you on their websites, all of these things that can, you know, Google can use to really tie you to a, a location, um, can be really helpful uh, guides to session locations in your city or venues in your city or things okay. like that yeah. can be very relevant for local SEO. Yeah. Speaking of which we're going to get into blogging here in just a little bit, but you know, to your point, Corey, it's funny. I, as a bit of a minimalist and, and um, somebody who is very much into the concepts that, that Tim Ferriss talks about in the four hour work week, I tend to want to focus on 80, 20 principle. Yeah. And, um, and I, th- I think that's a very strong concept and principle. It's enabled me to create the life that I have now. Uh, the flip side of that conversation that I have to remember, because I tend to be an extremist too, is that you can't put all your eggs in one basket. And to your point, yep. the idea that we focus on just one element of SEO when there really are so many different moving parts, um, it can ultimately hurt us. I didn't realize the significance of a physical location as it relates to Google searches. Though. So that's a really yeah. fascinating fact. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited that we're already getting to something new here for the podcast. But Dylan, let me actually jump to you for the next question. Yep. Talk to me a little bit about SEO as it relates to keywords and topics. Should photographers be focusing on one or the other? Again, some combination of the above. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, totally. I think that you should... I, th- I think that most people think of SEO as being very keyword centric and very... Like if I, if I want to rank for this one specific term, I'm going to use that term more on my content and I'll, I'll be great. Uh, but I think you need to take a larger view and look and see like, what is this keyword actual term related to as a larger topic? And what is the intent behind that topic when the searcher does that search? Um, 
the, the more you can dive into what that person is actually trying to accomplish with mm. that search, uh, what information they're looking for, what kind of task and, and just satisfy that need, um, the better you're going to have, the better results you're going to have with, with SEO. So if you understand what they're looking for, I mean, I'm trying to think of this on a, on like at a personal level or practical level for me personally, I'm thinking about the photographer's edit website. For example, if, if somebody's looking for the services that we offer, we create a page that, that is essentially the topics, the services, but underneath that, then naturally we're going to have, um, the details related to those various services, which essentially become the keywords. Is that, is that what that means? Yeah, exactly. So like, uh, using like a random photographer, family photographer in Atlanta. Okay. You're, you want to look or you want to think about what X or what information that person is looking for. And then also kind of look at it through Google's eye because they're also trying to understand uh, what the searcher is looking for. And they might be slightly different than the actual user, hmm. but things like what the services are, what your service locations or proximity or like what areas you cover, what exact services you offer. And then any terms related to family photography, what packages you have, what pricing for those packages. Uh, if you do have a business location, what your address is, um, things like that. Anything that would be useful for the user that's actually trying to plan a family session. So you might have related blog posts on what to wear and, and locations. You might have a guide on how to plan your family session or tips on having well-behaved children or whatever. <laughs> uh, linking to those things yeah. uh, can really just have a well-rounded page that provides much more value to the user. And Google's going to hopefully understand that and see that and rank that above somebody that's just saying, I'm a family photographer in Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm going to jump in really quick and just like yeah. throw out another thought about this. If you're doing any kind of search and you see this little SERP feature, which I'll talk a little bit more about later and define what that is. But if you see the feature that says people also ask, that's a really good indicator that Google understands multiple intents for this type of query or this mm. topic, right? So if you see that they're saying, hey, whenever you, you search for a uh, maternity session, people also ask, when should I have a maternity session? Where should I do them? How do I look good in them? What's the right time? You know, is, How far along should I be when I do maternity photos? All of those things show up as like little questions that people also ask and they return different answers for those. But it shows that Google very what they understand very well the intent and sure. the alternative intents for that query and that if you're trying to rank for that general query you probably should cover at least one but probably most of those different intents on that page interesting okay how would you go about finding those this person would also be interested in dot 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 like i mean are you just doing a general google search to find that kind of relevant information or how do you go about doing that i mean that's yeah. a big part of it and just as a photographer, being an expert and knowing your customers and the questions that they ask and what they're looking for, I think that comes from experience. Sure. We also encourage a lot of intuitive searching um, using Google a lot and understanding you know, how they're seeing those things and looking, just being very observant when you're doing a search for that term that you want to rank for, uh, seeing what other people are doing. That can be very important, I think. Yeah. There's also a browser extension called Keywords Everywhere that puts those off to the side of your Google search in a, in a nice, easy to view uh, way. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, we'll link to that in the show notes. And uh, for everybody listening in, there's there are going to be a number of resources we're going to link to from today's conversation. Just go to Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com. And uh, the show notes, Haley, who produces the show, puts these show notes together in a way that they're easily consumable, talking points, the, the links to the various resources that we mentioned, make sure you take advantage of that. But I want to keep going. I, I know we could spend a lot of time just on that particular topic, but I, I want to get to a conversation about indexing. Um, and, and to kind of break the fourth wall here, you all sent me some talking points. Corey sent me some talking points ahead of our conversation um, this was an interesting one to me because the idea of indexing is not something that I've thought a whole lot about in some time. I remember back in the day um, when as a photographer, a photography business owner, a point of conversation was manually encouraging or pushing Google to crawl our site for the sake of indexing. Is that something that is still relevant today? What's the best approach to all of this? So why don't you go for that one? You're the, you're the expert on complex indexation sites. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So I guess I would say that like a brand new website with zero backlinks and no sitemap submitted uh, probably won't be indexed by Google that easily. Okay. Uh, 
but most photography sites have at least a few backlinks that are crawled by Google and they're, they have okay linking internally. So most photography sites that we see do not have an, a problem having their site and their pages indexed, but almost all of them have a problem with too many pages indexed, hmm. which is interesting. And so in, in regards to manually asking Google to crawl a page, I still do this when I, uh, publish a new blog post just because I want to start that whole process as quickly as possible. Interesting. And if I'm making changes to existing content, like if I'm going into an older post or page and I've edited it slightly or updated it, uh, I'll go into Google search console and request indexing just to, to get that page crawled. It should be crawled anyways, and I don't have to do that, but it's um, something I like to do. It speeds up the process pretty significantly. Requesting probably yeah. takes maybe 30 minutes or an hour for it to be indexed in most cases, in my experience. Whereas wow. not requesting, you're talking two or three days in most photography sites, probably. When you say, yeah. Wow. Okay. That, that's so, first of all, it's still relevant. And secondly, it actually makes a big difference. And I, I bet many photographers don't realize this. So, um, if, first of all, for those of you listening in, if you're not using actively using Google Search Console, you need to be. Uh, we'll link to that site in the show notes as well. Um, but man, this is a great kind of practical first step that all of our listeners can take if they're not doing it already is to, to have Google manually crawl their site when they do make updates. Um, I, let me get to another question though. And, and this has to do with SEO. I mean, we've kind of touched on this idea already, but I'm curious to get into the more practical, tangible potential changes that our listeners can make when it comes to making sure that the SEO, that their efforts in improving SEO are actually relevant to their potential client base. Um, I, I know that personally, and this is kind of applicable really, really in all of my life, I guess, just because I'm a selfish human being, but there is a tendency for me to get fixated on what I know, what I like, what I want to do. And this can be applicable to my business as well. I make some assumptions, I project on the situation. I assume that this is what I need to be doing. The reality is I need to be constantly asking, what is my potential client looking for and how can I best communicate um, how I can meet those needs through my website and certainly through our efforts at improving SEO. What does this look like on a tangible level? How can photographers do this better? I have an interesting thought that I just came up with as you were saying that. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and uh, it it has to do with uh, experience, user experience testing. Um, this is something that almost always, every time I do it, it blows my mind. And I've done it on different levels, right? So there's there's tools like Hotjar where you can just install a little snippet and it will track people on your site. It'll show where they click. It'll show how far they scroll, yeah. different things like that. Uh, but then uh, there's also getting a group of people together, maybe paying them or you know just asking as a favor to sit down in front of you with a laptop or a computer and use your, or their phone and just use your website and you get to watch over their shoulder. And it's so interesting to me that like you said, I make these assumptions about what people want or where they'll go on my site or yeah. what they're going to do. Yeah. And they're so often wrong. Even as an <laughs> expert, like someone who does this all the time, sure. I still get it wrong more often than I would like. So I think it's important to kind of have a tight feedback loop, especially in the beginning phases of designing and building your website so that you can make sure that you're serving your, your target market very well with your site. And Dylan, is there a particular other than Hotjar? Are there any other tools that photographers can use similar to that service? Just so they have options um, that that would give them similar information. There are a few. There's one called uh, VWO. Yes, it's kind of expensive. It is. Um, yeah, but super powerful. I'm, I've been really impressed with it. For sure. Yeah, it's hard. I think one one major problem that photographers have is just the number of visits that they have on their site. So it's hard to get useful information when you have which is low traffic in the whole scheme of the web. Mm. Um, it's, it's hard when you're making changes. Like I I'm a huge fan of, of actually using like making changes on site and testing them and, and like optimization, but uh, it's hard. So like to get actual like statistical confirmation on these changes, it, it takes either years of your typical photography sites traffic or you have to guess. And I think that that's one, when, when hard part of testing a photographer's site with tools like that. Huh. Okay. So, I mean, even just the simple concept of a heat map is certainly not yeah. new. Is, are there 
certain services that photographers should go sign up for? I mean, hot is Hotjar the, the best one to go to, the simplest to set up? What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I'm just not a fan of. Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard. Okay. Um, I'm I'm not a fan of most of those tools outside of very brief windows when people are possibly working with a web designer or or on their own working on their UX. Um, it's hard. I, I feel like people put a lot of thought into uh, these processes, but they're not actually willing to make the structural changes or they're not looking at large enough changes that are actually going to affect the typical photography site. Hmm. Um, so if somebody on Hotjar is like testing slightly different copy, I don't think you're going to be able to see that if you have, let's say 10,000 visits a month, uh, let alone a thousand visits a month, like some newer photographers, um, it's hard on sites that have a hundred thousand visits a month to actually get statistical, like relevant information about which headline is better. Wow. Let alone the, the changes that photographers should be looking at are like, should I have a slideshow of images on my homepage or not? Uh, should I include a contact form or not? Those you might be able to get some sort of data on, but it's hard. I, th- th- that's one thing where I, there's no perfect tool that enough that I know of that's really solving this problem currently. <laughs> if life was only so simple, right? I mean, back to, I'm thinking about how I'd like to think about things and I way oversimplify sometimes. And the reality is there isn't necessarily an absolute answer uh, to be had. And, and certainly yeah. that seems to be the case here. Would, would Corey, would you say that Google analytics is a good place to start at the very least? I mean, if photographers don't at least have that plugged in the pixel plugged in so that they can be getting that kind of information to see customer behavior, they could at least start there. Yeah. I mean, I think analytics is just, a kind of a default you you need to have that i i think so at least even though i on most of my sites like my photography sites i don't use analytics that often probably not as often as i should because i'm hmm. always in search console because i'm focused on seo but there are so many insights you can get from analytics especially if you do a little bit of fine tuning to google analytics and maybe um, set up some custom events or you know uh, land, like a uh, thank you page um, goal or something like that, you can start to really get some interesting insights, especially if you have like a multifaceted marketing plan, if you're doing a lot of social or paid or uh, anything like that, like in those cases, or like in some of our sites or our client sites, we have uh, like e-commerce sites where we need to track a lot more specifically track campaigns, track how each YouTube video drives sales individually, like not having analytics would be crazy like we need those things in those cases yeah i know it's a bit rhetorical to bring it up but i i I get the sense that not every photographer is necessarily plugging that tool in or if they are they're not actually actively using it so i wanted to at least make mention of it dylan you actually said something that piqued my interest and we'll jump to a couple more questions here uh you and and maybe this was just tongue-in-cheek but you mentioned whether or not to put a contact form on the site is that something that you actually consider and what what is that conversation about yeah totally i mean i i think that it's a a decent practice to actually convert users uh, via contact form to start the conversation about booking your photography shoot. The downside to that is that a lot of photographers are using uh, third-party hosted contact forms like uh, HoneyBook or Dubsado or Tave or all of those. And some of those are not the most performant, which is okay. And then some of them can also be very in-depth, sometimes overly in-depth where it's like a, 30 question form just to get an inquiry and those can turn users off. So it, it really depends on the context of the page. Right, I think more, it's more yeah. along the lines of like, should you have a contact form on this page, like on your home page exactly. or on uh, your pricing page okay. versus like, should you have a contact form anywhere on your site? Totally. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I would certainly be turned off if there was 20, 10 questions to answer. I mean, I, I just <laughs> like, give me information. I want to talk to somebody, um, which is a bit ironic because then I design, you know, that we've my, myself and my team have designed this, this whole process and workflow that we want our clients to go through. And sometimes they just want to have a conversation. So we have to That's kind of keep that in mind, but, and, and make it as simple and accessible as possible. Uh, but I, that just piqued my interest. So I was, I was curious about it. Let, let me jump to another question about optimization. Um, and, and this is probably particularly relevant. Maybe, maybe you're going to go a different direction with this, Corey or Dylan. But um, when it comes to photography websites, there's obviously a lot of imagery involved, or at least I hope so. And when we talk about optimization for the site, is that what we're kind of focused on? Or are there other elements of the site that need to be optimized? 
Yeah. So probably not <laughs> images in our experience. Really? I, okay. I rant about this a lot, but yeah. uh, so I have a couple of thoughts. Whenever you ask like, what does it mean to optimize a page? I have a few uh, clarifying questions. Can I give you those? And then Dylan talk about maybe more specific optimization. Please. Yeah. Okay. So I like to think a few things first. The, the ultimate questions that I like to ask is how can I make it fast and easy for a person to find exactly what they need from mm. this page. Yeah. Okay. Fast and easy. That's what people are looking for. That's what Google is obsessed with. Um, the little bit more complicated question after that is how do I make sure that Google's crawlers and algorithms determine that this is the best solution to a searcher's problem? So we're thinking about how, how is, uh, what are the factors that Google's using to determine whether this is fast and easy and relevant? Uh, and then finally, I like to ask, okay, so once Google does serve this as a top result, I am ranking on the, on the first page, uh, how do I make sure that people are going to actually click it when they perform their search? Those are the big three questions that I'm asking when I'm thinking about what do I need to do to optimize this page? And, and Dylan, I want to come to you, but just to go back yeah. to one of the, the points that you made, Corey, fast and easy to find info. One of the things that, that came to mind, really the main thing that came to mind when you we were talking about that is these days it seems like, uh, and, and I've... I've been torn even with the Photographer's Edit website, for example, on, on how much information to put on the site, certainly partially for the sake of SEO, but then balancing that with simplicity and ease of use. Again, I tend to be a minimalist. I don't want to have to scroll through paragraphs of text and information to get the job done, whatever that job might be. Um, what, is, what is the balance in, in that effort to make sure that we're making it as fast and easy for our clients to get what they want? Yeah, it's a hard balance because it does take a lot of work to, uh, there's a quote that talks about, um, basically, uh, the simplest version of something being the most brilliant or, or the most smartest, difficult right? even. Yeah. 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 So uh, in this case, you know, we do want to like reduce content to make it easier when it, when it's necessary or makes it a better experience. But I also feel like formatting has it's a lot to do with this, right? Huge, so I, yeah. when I scroll a page, I'm usually skimming almost all the time. I'm skimming yep. at first. Yep. And so it's not necessarily that I'm turned off when there's too much information, but I'm turned off whenever I can't tell if the answer that I think I'm looking for is contained within that information. Hmm. So if I have the right kinds of headings and bolding and uh, formatting to make it obvious that, oh, that section is the part that's probably going to have the answer then I don't care if there's lots of other information as long as it didn't take me too long to scroll through. Uh, but there's lots of different formatting things that you can do to really break down complex topics into easy to consume pages. In chunks, yeah. Well, I'm looking at y'all's website again and, and major props to both of you for what you've put together here because you're practicing what you preach. I mean, again, that the top of the page above the fold, basically the, the brand position and then two calls to action SEO course free seven day challenge. I scroll down the free Facebook group has its own section on the page with very, very little text. So there's no confusion about what to do next. Simple call to action join now. And then I think one, two, three, four sections with calls to action and then a, a, a very small about section. I mean, I, I love the simplicity the ease of use, and ultimately, to your point, Corey, just how easy it is to find what it is I, I'm looking for and what I'm supposed to do next with that information. I think it's a really great example. So everybody listening in, go check out the site because um, not only you can get more help from Corey and Dylan on your website, but you can see very tangibly what it looks like to be a very practical minimalist when it comes to designing a website. I think we need more of this because photographers have a tendency of just kind of piling text on their websites. And, and I think about you know, what it's like to be a consumer. I kind of play dumb a little bit, uh, dumb in the sense that I'm, I'm trying to be trying to think how to best frame this in, in a way that's not negative. But I, ultimately, I'm just thinking about the consumer who may be annoyed, short on time. Maybe they're you know pissed off because they had a bad day. Whatever it is, they come to the site. And the last thing that I want to do is confuse them uh, in the process of trying to get the information that you need to. So I want to I want to dumb it down in the, in the sense that I want to make it as simple as possible, as easy to follow, to, to your point, Corey. But Dylan, on a practical or on a technical level, rather, um, yep. What does it mean to optimize a site? Is there, are there one or two things that, the, that those listening in can do? Totally. I think that for each page, I think you need to have a great title. Uh, mm. And that's fairly simple, but I, it's one of the most important factors that I've found both 
making sure that you're or getting the point across like exactly what this page is about. Uh, and then doing a little bit of that Buzzfeedy, getting attention, getting people to actually click on it. Yeah. Uh, not too much. You don't want to be, uh, you don't want to make it, I don't know, not as valuable, but you, you're really trying to get people when they see that title in a search result to click. Um, and then I, I have meta description written down, but that has an asterisk next to, next to it because Google is doing a decent job these days of writing custom meta descriptions based exactly on the both the query that the person made and the content that's on the page. Really? So some, yeah. So sometimes uh, I'm testing this a little bit, but allowing Google to just write that on their own is okay. Uh, for important pages, I don't think that's the case. Like your homepage, uh, your your main pages, I think you should write your own custom meta description. But if you have like a, a 3000 word article about some like a long form article about uh, family photography in Atlanta or something like that, um, allowing Google to really pick which section they want to highlight based on what the person actually searched for hmm. might be the best. So test that back and forth, but then paying really close attention to how the site actually works both on, on mobile uh, devices that are less powerful and slow connections. Google is kind of on a, uh, they're trying to change the web and one thing that they're really paying attention to is that most of the web is on mobile and most people don't have access to like 5G and super fast, like gig internet and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. So photographers need to pay attention to this because we have really image heavy sites and worse than that, we display them on very JavaScript heavy, like slow frameworks that, hmm. that take forever to load. Um, and we like to add a lot of features. Um, the slideshow that you're adding or the, the YouTube videos that are embedded kind of incorrectly or, and things well, like seven that. fonts. Yeah. <laughs> fonts, just fonts. Oh, Gosh, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean the, the number of fonts we see on most photography websites, because I think photographers pride themselves in having some sort of design aesthetics and they, they kind of take that a bit yeah. too far. Yeah. They don't know how to edit that down to sometimes. Um, and I have had the issues myself. So I've, I've been through this where I've, I realize I have eight fonts on my website and I need to <laughs> cut that down to three. <laughs> yep. Two to three. Um, I, and I'm, I'm kind of laughing cause I'm thinking back to my old brand, the branding as far as the, the font that we were using uh, for the word mark. And, and then of course how that translated to the website was so bad when I think about yeah. it, but um, it, you're right. There is a tendency for photographers to get excited. And, and again, I've been guilty of it. We get excited about the, this look in the moment. We're really stoked about, we're like, Oh, we, this is, this is great for my brand. I'm going to put it out there. And then as you said, seven, eight fonts later, um, we've got a site that I, I mean, I didn't realize that that would actually affect loading time, but that's, that's really quite fascinating. Yeah. It's, I mean, not to get too technical, but it's fonts have on most sites, fonts have to load completely before any content will be shown on the screen. (laughs) So it's, it's wild. Whoa. Okay. Uh, Yeah. And so you you mentioned something about JavaScript and and we're not going to go super technical here, but it's a great segue to one of my last questions, which has to do with website platforms. Um, (laughs) And and you are both laughing because it seems like this is a pretty big topic. Okay. So what, platform or platforms do you suggest or recommend for the sake of bettering <laughs> SEO? Or is it that, is it that simple a question? No, yeah. not really. It's not. <laughs> so, so I have an analogy that I'll, I'll share. Both of us could rant about platforms for hours, so okay. we won't do that. But my analogy is that it, it's kind of like asking, does my choice of lens really matter that much to my photography? And huh. the answer is yes, it's matters a lot. Like the lens that you choose totally affects the way that your picture is going to turn out. But that's not to say that any particular lens is bad or right. can't make great photographs. Right, it's, right. You're going to pick the lens that you want for the goals that you have when you put it on. Um, so each platform has strengths and weaknesses. And uh, I think I think right now, it's very important to be thinking about uh, SERP features. So SERP stands for search engine result page. Hmm. And it's just any page that you get when you do a, a Google search. Uh, and SERP features are basically anything other than the what we used to call the 10 blue links, like the regular organic results. So you'll see map packs, image packs, uh, news carousels, featured snippets, uh, all kinds of things like that. So anything that's not a regular organic result, we call it a SERP feature. And the fact is, Google is really heavily... Um, experimenting with SERP features on a regular basis. Like we weekly find new variations of SERP features or brand new SERP features. And 
if you want to compete on these, the problem with a lot of the really simple platforms that are especially popular with photographers is that it's next to impossible to be like on the cutting edge, be able to really optimize for a specific SERP feature that just came out. Um, it's, it's very difficult on some platforms. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's one big thing that comes to my mind whenever I think about like, does the platform matter is that it depends on how advanced or technical you want to get. Um, but yes, it does matter. Well, I mean, the, the kind of stereotypical statement that you hear when it comes to SEO is that you need to make sure you're on WordPress. Um, but that's, that's kind of the extent, I guess, with one or two exceptions of the generalizations made when it comes to a platform and its relevance to good SEO. Um, is WordPress, does it actually matter that people are using WordPress specifically for their blogs or otherwise, or other other platforms that play relatively well with Google? That's your area, Dylan. All right. This one's hard. My personal uh, feelings are that WordPress, while not being perfect and probably not even the platform I would be on if I had unlimited budget for development, is a great Swiss Army knife for being relatively easy or relatively easy to find an expert to help you with, enough so that most photographers can handle having a WordPress site, I believe, Um, while giving, I think, the best flexibility to really attain the, the latest in web standards. Hmm. Um, it's obviously not perfect, but uh, the web changes so fast that if you're on some platforms that are going to have more of a developer lag, you might have issues where Google's looking for a specific type of file or they want files to be loaded in a certain way. And that platform just takes two years to implement it. Structured data is really big. And on some platforms, it's easy and some it's not, or they do it automatically for you just how images are loaded or files are loaded or even recently, like some platforms weren't secure up until this year Wow! or they weren't responsive until last year. And like uh, to be not responsive in 2018, 2019 was just absurd, but some platforms just weren't keeping up with the times. Whereas with WordPress, it's been fairly easy to stay ahead of that curve. If anything, like uh, the, the bleeding edge of WordPress right now, I think, is AMP sites, where everything is AMP valid. What is AMP, by the way? Yeah, it used to stand for Accelerated Mobile Pages. Okay. Um, it's a, a standard that was kind of created by Google, and uh, it's just a, it's, a, it's an HTML standard for how they think web pages should be made to quickly load, both on phones and desktops. Hmm. Uh, and so I, I think that that's kind of a future change that most photographers are going to have to make, but I don't think most platforms are going to do that for two to five years. Wow. At least. If ever. Exactly. <laughs> so like on WordPress, I'm, I have a, a development site right now where it's completely amp valid and I could change my website to be amp valid tomorrow if I wanted to. So, wow. yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting that there's like, there's so many different developers when it comes to WordPress, right? You have so many different independent communities making open source software that solve a, a variety of problems. Mm. Uh, and you can easily get a plugin to do something if you need to do it quick, or yep. you can hire a developer to do something. Like I'll give you a practical example where WordPress made a big difference for someone recently. We had a, a core student who was, we were talking about table of contents plugins or table of contents in general for, for pages, especially like long form blog content. And they asked, like, is it going to actually impact my rankings if I implement table contents? We're like, probably yes for this type of content. Um, And so they were able to install a plugin on WordPress, uh, Table of Contents Plus, I think is one they used. And um, across the board on the pages where they implemented it, they saw an almost instant rise in traffic um, and rankings. And it's not going to happen in every single case, but there are a lot of different scenarios like that. That's just one example where if you were trying to do that on Squarespace or on Show It, good luck. I mean, it's going to take you so many hours to go in and like manually build tables of contents. Hmm. They don't have any like one solution to just install a plugin, you know, put a little short code in, it's done. Interesting. Now, the last question here about uh, about platforms before we dig into blogging just briefly, but I, I'm curious, and I guess this is re- very relevant because Show It specifically, and uh, we've we've talked about Show It on the site countless times, uh, and I'm friends with Todd, but I know that that Todd has and his, his team have made WordPress a big part of the Show It platform, and that at least for blogging anyway, as I understand it, 
WordPress, um, you can use WordPress, but how does that work when it comes to SEO and how deeply is WordPress tied to, to show it? Can you, can you break down how using that platform relates to SEO, especially when we're talking about this in the context of WordPress? Yes, actually, we have a 5,000-word guide on FuelYourPhotos.com about show at SEO, and we talk about all of those things. I, you know, it's funny you say that, because I, I saw that as I was going through your site a second ago, so we'll actually link to that, and it specifically yeah. says, show at SEO, how to rank your show at site on Google. Um, you know what, and, and let's just keep it simple. We'll put that in the show notes, because I'd love for people yeah. to, to go to your site, see this information, and ultimately just reach out to you guys, because I know we're just skimming the surface on a really, really... Uh, loaded topic here in SEO. Let me ask the, the last question, and this may be somewhat rhetorical, but I'd like to continue to go back because I want to make sure photographers, when they're spending time or if they're spending time on blogging, that it is actually helpful in their SEO efforts. Is it still a good thing to do or how helpful is it when it comes to improving SEO? So I don't, I don't think it's the, even that rhetorical. I think there's, it's a great question because I think it really depends on how you define Blogging, the way that most photographers mm. are still thinking about blogging in 2020 is probably not as helpful, is very unhelpful in a lot of cases. Like it's probably not even something they should be doing, but that's not really the case. If you ask, should I be blogging? I would say absolutely yes. Just probably going to look different than you think it does. Maybe Dylan can, I think we have a couple of points on that. Yeah, totally. I think that you, you really need to get away from just blogging your client work. And I think so many photographers have hated blogging for so long because they're trying, they sit down at their computer months after the session and they're trying to whip up a few sentences to say how this shoot was the most amazing, beautiful shoot they've ever shot <laughs> in the coolest location. It's so funny though, because they always yeah. end up saying the exact same thing that they said in the five <laughs> previous posts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I think you just really have to frame this along the lines that we talked about earlier, where how is that relevant? to a potential client that's looking to plan their photo shoot. Hmm. Um, and oftentimes it's, it's not. So being able to leverage that work and maybe think about it in a different way where you, you talk about what your favorite outfits were for that shoot or outfit ideas using images from 10 different shoots, location ideas using images from 25 different local shoots, things like that, where you're, you're using your work, but you're also adding value with the information that you're sharing. That brings us back to topics, right? When we were talking about oh, totally. topics versus keywords or with keywords, but like actually deciding on a topic and writing a post about that particular topic. Yep. It's everything. Uh, so not only are you going to create like this large, like top of funnel traffic source, uh, you're also showing Google that you're really relevant to this topic and you're authoritative. Um, and so if you have 10 different posts that are all on different re related ideas to family photography in Atlanta, those in turn are going to help increase your ranking site-wide for, for that topic. And then when you, when you have a topic like for me on my site, Portland wedding venues, I found this topic maybe two years ago now, and it had my SEO tools were telling me this has slightly more search volume than people who search for Portland wedding photographer, which was the term that everybody here is targeting. Um, I created the post. It has lo much lower competition I just listed 25 of my local wedding venues and I get 80 times as much traffic for that term Whoa. and those related terms as I do for Portland wedding photographers, which I also rank on the first page for. So I call these like Goldilocks topics where they have high search volume, high commercial intent. Like people are actually going to book you because of this hmm. and lo lower competition. So finding those is, is huge. Wow. It also, I mean, the, the, also the key thing is that it's providing so much value to the searcher that yeah. people mention it when they contact me, they're like, Hey, I used your guide to find my wedding venue. Thank you so much. Huh. Like that all automatically gives me a better position than somebody that just has cool photos or ranked for Portland wedding photographer. And they're being contacted just because they exist as a photographer. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been pretty cool. I think it's also important to, to mention here that content creation is still important, right? So blogging, I don't care if it's a blog post or whatever your platform calls a post or whether it's a page or whatever. If it's a page on your site that Google can crawl and users can find and you're creating relevant content, it'll help you rank for a much broader spectrum of terms than you know just optimizing your homepage for Columbia SE wedding photographer. Like if I just do that, I'm missing 
so much of the long tail, yep. all the other things that are related to weddings in Columbia that people are also searching for, where I, as a person who's you know photographed 200 weddings in Columbia, I'm an expert and I can tell you about all of those things and I can set myself up wow. as the person that you want to hire yep. to help you with those things. Yep. Uh, it just seems like there's a massive opportunity to write about a wide variety of topics as it relates to the photography that you're doing in the marketplace that you're working uh, and this is a really, really great reminder for all of our listeners. It, this has been a really practical conversation. You guys are so easy to chat with. I really appreciate you making time to come on and share with the listeners. And ultimately, I want our listeners to be able to come find you, ask you further questions, maybe hire you to help them with their website. So will you remind them where they can do that? Yeah, yeah. I think the the first place is our, our Facebook group, uh, Fueler Photos on Facebook. That, that's the big free group, and we are pretty active in there. It's a really great community of a lot of people who are very focused on websites and SEO. Uh, and then obviously we have FuelerPhotos.com, and that links to everything else. Our free seven-day challenge, our course, the free SEO guide, and our podcast are all on that site. Cool. And we're going to actually put all of this. Um, I'm actually clicking on this right now and generating a link for Haley. We're going to put all this in the show notes at bocapodcast.com for everybody listening in. Of course, you can go directly to the site and see the show notes, or you can just go to the show notes section of your favorite podcast app for this information. Um, thank you, Corey and Dylan, both so much for making time for all of us and for sharing just really helpful, practical information today. Yeah. Thanks for having us. It's been fun. Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at bocapodcast.com. Make sure to visit our sponsors, photographersedit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.